Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Park of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Hi, I'm Linda Oberhoff with the Oberhoff Farms in Washington, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. I've got another episode of Texas Ag Today loaded up and ready to roll for you. All you've got to do is jump on in with me and buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, the final Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report of 2023 shows a poor Texas cotton crop, a better-looking wheat crop, and peanuts looking fairly good as well. We'll take a look at that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. With the state of Texas committed to strengthening its water resources, what might we see happening in the Texas High Plains? I'm James Hunt and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. A USDA public comment period is underway on an international trade program initiative. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have comments from the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture about this program just ahead on Texas Ag Today. Vampire bats are poised to cross the southern U.S. border in the next several years and Texas livestock producers are concerned about their arrival. I'm Gary Joyner, and I'll have details on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA's National Ag Statistics Service released its final Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report of 2023. And this is how the numbers wrapped up in this final report of the year. We'll start with cotton. Cotton harvest now 74% done, right on schedule with the five-year average pace. As far as the condition of the cotton crop remaining in the field, not good at all. 10% of the cotton rated good to excellent, 24% rated fair, and two-thirds of the crop, 66% of the cotton rated poor to very poor. Winter wheat planting now 92% complete statewide. Emergence now stands at 78%. Wheat condition ratings, a whole lot better than cotton. We're looking at 46% of our Texas wheat crop rated good to excellent, 35% rated fair, and 20% rated poor to very poor. And finally, peanuts. Peanut harvest now stands at 85% complete here in Texas. The crop ratings on the peanut crop now stand at 37%, good to excellent, 55% fair, and only 8% of the Texas peanut crop rated poor to very poor. 
The profit outlook for grain elevators has improved significantly for the 23 and 24 marketing year. According to CoBank, the outlook is improved with buy basis falling and carries returning to futures markets. They say this improved outlook comes after two years of inverted futures markets that limited the ability of many elevators to earn a profit storing grains. The current challenge for grain elevators is gaining ownership of bushels as farmers have been reluctant to sell because corn and soybean prices have fallen sharply from peaks we saw earlier in the year. CoBank says that issue should ease up for elevators starting in 2024. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We should see more sorghum acreage in Texas next year. Tim Lust, CEO of National Sorghum Producers in Lubbock, says international demand for sorghum is strong, and that has helped sorghum prices stay strong. From that standpoint, I think that bodes well for acres in Texas going into next year, and uh, early seed sales seem to be very, very positive there in terms of that. Of course, when we talk the Texas Panhandle, it's all about forage sorghum and uh, what the water declines there and, and the growth in the dairy and livestock industries there uh, continues to be a real focus on forage sorghum in those areas. Lust says two years of drought and cotton losses should swing more acres in sorghum's favor next growing season. The state of Texas is committing to strengthening its water resources. James Hunt takes a look at what that may mean for the Texas High Plains. Now that Texas voters have given their blessing to the creation of the new Texas Water Fund, what might happen to strengthen water resources for those of us here in the Texas High Plains? To get some thoughts on that, I turned to Ben Weinheimer, who is chairman of the Panhandle Water Planning Group. For individual projects, you would look at the water management strategies that already exist. So identifying things like the expansion of existing water rights and well fields, the development of the infrastructure to move that water to where it's needed, exploring other options for new water sources such as desalinization of brackish water, aquifer storage and recovery where you might store water in the aquifer during times of the year when water demands are lower and create that available supply for use during the summer when water demands are really high. So those are some of the approaches that can be taken to make more water available in our area. Meanwhile, Weinheimer says we're not likely to see a new reservoir built here, but things can be done to boost existing reservoirs. One of the water management strategies identified in the Panhandle Regional Water Plan in support of the Canadian River Municipal Water Authority, which manages Lake Meredith, is to continue to do brush control on the watershed that leads into Lake Meredith, eliminating that brush that unnecessarily uses large amounts of water during the growing season would help the uh, watershed yield additional water into Lake Meredith. Once again, that was Ben Weinheimer, chairman of the Panhandle Water Planning Group. We'll hear more from him on the topic of water development in tomorrow's report. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The USDA public comment period on an international trade initiative is open right now. Tom Nicoletti has the story. A U.S. Department of Agriculture public comment period is open through December 16th. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack has this explanation of the program. As a result of requests by the Senate, Ag leadership, Senator Stabenow and Senator Bozeman, 
ask us to utilize some of the resources from the Commodity Credit Corporation to facilitate additional trade opportunities. We took their request to heart, and in doing so, we established the Regional Agricultural Promotion Program, which is commonly referred to in our, our building as the, the RAP program. And that program is really designed to create market diversification for trade opportunities, focusing on non-traditional markets, as well as providing some additional resources uh, specifically for specialty crop exports. And the reason it's structured and designed this way is because it's important in order to utilize the Commodity Credit Corporation resources that it is distinguishable from the regular trade promotion programs out of the Farm Bill, the MAP program, the FMD program. We're also re-emphasizing the importance of the distinguishing it between the Farm Bill trade programs and this program. As I've often said, the, the key to trade is, is people, uh, presence, and promotions. And these resources will allow us to continue to expand our reach into markets uh, that are non-traditional to complement the work that we're doing in the more traditional ag markets. We also announced the 2024 trade mission schedule. That is also part of our efforts to uh, expand promotion of agricultural products here in the U.S. for export. We're looking for diversifying uh, our market opportunities. That is U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. South Texas ranchers will have to deal with vampire bats in the next several years. Gary Joyner tells why. The common vampire bat is likely to cross the U.S. southern border in the next 5 to 20 years, according to researchers. The bats are not very far away now. The species has been documented within 30 miles of Texas. The vampire bat's arrival causes a lot of concern in agriculture due to the bat's ability to transmit diseases, injure livestock, and cause infections. Rabies is the most obvious issue because of livestock welfare and the potential to infect humans. In Mexico, vampire bat rabies costs the livestock industry more than $46 million per year, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Infected cattle can spread rabies to people who come in contact with them. Vampire bats feed on the blood of other animals. Their usual victims are livestock and occasionally wild mammals and birds. The bites don't kill, but the possible rabies it carries will. Wounds on cattle can often be found around the neck or tail. Because animals keep bleeding for a while after being bitten, dried blood can be a sign of a bite. Other signs are neurological. The virus travels to the brain and spinal cords, so infected cattle become disoriented and can't move their hindquarters. They can become aggressive and charge at people. Officials say vaccinating cattle in the U.S. against rabies is not common, but it may be the best option to prevent the spread of the virus once vampire bats arrive. Ranchers in far south Texas will want to consider whether or not to vaccinate their animals. I'm Gary Joyner for Texas Ag Today. Parks and Wildlife is forecasting a below average pheasant season for hunters, but there are a few areas where you might have a better chance of bagging one. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And preventing cattle from getting sick is a much better option than treating them after they're sick. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
Well, howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, visit tfbhealth.com. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Preventing cattle from getting bovine respiratory disease, or BRD, is a much better option than treating them after they're sick. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more. BRD is the most common cause of death in calves. The bovine veterinarian publication indicates there are some methods we can use to help with immunity to prevent these diseases versus just treating with antibiotics. Vaccination is one of the most effective methods of preventing BRD, but no vaccine can prevent 100% of the infections. Building immunity against BRD involves maternal antibodies from the mother cow and vaccine-induced immunity. Dr. Joe Gillespie with Boringer Ingelheim indicates that when calves are born, they enter the world lacking any real immunity to disease. Because of this, calves are dependent on colostrum from their mothers and ensuring every newborn calf ingests two quarts of good quality colostrum within four hours of birth is the most important thing you can do to prevent disease. Ingestion of colostrum not only provides immunity, but has long-lasting effects on overall health and productivity. However, the antibodies from the colostrum will eventually decrease, and calves must develop their own immunity. This is where vaccines play a role by stimulating the calf's immune system to produce its own antibodies against certain diseases. To know which vaccines to use in your herd, you have to know which disease-producing organisms or pathogens are involved. This is where your local veterinarian comes in. Timing of vaccination is also important as waiting until weaning to vaccinate can leave calves unprotected. The timing of losing antibodies from colostrum and gaining antibodies varies from calf to calf and is anywhere from two to six months. Calves are usually vaccinated at 60 to 90 days of age in most cow-calf operations. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas Parks and Wildlife is forecasting a below-average pheasant season this year. But Jessica Domel tells us there are a few areas in Texas where you may have a better chance of bagging one. Pheasant hunting season in the Texas Panhandle opens Saturday, and while the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is forecasting a below-average season for hunters, there are a few areas where hunting chances may be better than others. John McLaughlin, TPWD's Upland Game Bird Program leader, joins us with more. There's probably a higher density, higher abundance of pheasants in the Panhandle, so we think about those northern Panhandle counties, some of those northwestern Panhandle counties, the agricultural complex up there, some of the public grass there's just a little bit more opportunity. So if you had to sort of target a region state, we would suggest that folks go to the northern panhandle. 
If you plan on hunting pheasant this year, be sure you have a valid Texas hunting license and an Upland Game Bird endorsement. McLaughlin also reminds hunters that only male pheasants may be harvested. Pheasant are one of the uh, species that we do require that quote-unquote proof of sex. It's unlawful to have a pheasant without a uh, proof of sex attached to it until it gets to its destination for final processing. And that proof of sex is either one leg, including the spur uh, attached to the pheasant carcass. It's all those males that have a spur on their leg, so that leg needs to be attached to that carcass. And or probably more common for folks is just to keep the entire bird whole. So we say the entire plumage attached to the carcass. If a game warden was to stop an individual, they could clearly see it was a male either by the leg with the spur or by the plumage that's attached to the bird. The daily bag limit is three male pheasants. The possession limit is nine. The pheasant hunting season in the Texas Panhandle opens Saturday, December 2nd and runs through the 31st. Hunters are encouraged to check out the Outdoor Annual via the Outdoor Annual app, outdoorannual.com, or the paper Outdoor Annual for full regulations. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It's time to check the markets. We'll be back with a complete look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Howdy, neighbors. Commissioner Sid Miller here. The Texas Department of Agriculture's Farm Fresh Network connects local producers with schools to provide fresh food for our students. If you're a farmer, rancher, producer, sign up at farmfreshnetwork.org. Texas Farm Bureau has served farm families in rural Texas for nearly 90 years. We're pleased to offer new affordable health care coverage choices for all Texans through Texas Farm Bureau Health Plans. You do not need to be a member to inquire and apply. Plans are available anytime. There is no open enrollment period. Our United Healthcare Choice Plus network of providers is one of the largest available. For more information about the different plans, how to apply, or to get a quote for you, your family, or your small business, call 833-TX-HEALTH or visit 833-TXHEALTH.COM. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures stabilized a bit on Wednesday, held on to the nice gains that we had Tuesday, and we closed slightly higher with December live cattle up 25 cents, 171.90. February live cattle up 65 at 173.47. The April contract up a dollar five, one seventy-five ninety-two. January feeder cattle up a dollar fifteen, closing at two twenty-two twenty. March feeders up seventy-seven, two twenty-four twenty-seven, with April up ninety cents, two twenty-eight thirty-two. We've seen cash-fed cattle trade trickle in throughout the week. It started on Monday here in Texas. We sold cattle at one seventy-five. That's two bucks weaker compared to the previous week. We've seen 175 live sales also in Kansas and up into the Midwest this week. No report yet of dressed sales in the Northern Plains. Boxed beef prices lower Wednesday. Choice down 21 cents, 297.96. Select down $1.74 at 264.61. Now let's check those auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Phil Brockenbush, Giddings Livestock. Phil, how was your Monday sale? It was good, Larry. We wound up with 1702. Uh, the bull market was better than it was, you know, before we quit for the for Thanksgiving. And the, the calf market was really good, you know, compared to what the, the board's been doing. So 
It was a, it was a good day. Walk the pins with me. All right, your steers, 300 and back, average 260, brought up to 335, three to four weights, 266 to 320, four to five weights, 245 to 315. Five to six weights, 225 to 265. Six to seven weights, 210 to 247 and a half. Seven to eight weights, 184 to 235. The heifer mates, 300 back average, 249. Brought up to 285. Three to four weights, 242 to 280. Four to five weights, 227 and a half to 285. Five to six weights, 209 to 250. Six to seven weights, 197 to 237 and a half. Seven to eight weights, 165 to 197 and a half. Your bull yearlings, seven to 800 medium yield bulls 95 to 110 the packer cows the high yield cows 90 to 112 medium young cows 75 to 85 little thin cows 30 to 70 uh the stocker cows we sold uh, just a couple of pairs the best one brought 1375 and the bread cows brought from 700 to 18 and a quarter do you know of anything for this next monday there in Giddings? yes sir uh yeah i got already called he's gonna have 75 uh next week you know calves and a few cows and stuff but uh other than that i don't know of a whole lot but i think you know they'll, they'll come uh the, if, if the weather's okay i think you know it's supposed to get a little rain but right uh i don't know i'm coming before it can't be like this at the end of the year well tell everybody how to get a hold of you phil yes sir you can call me at 979-716-4395 or call the barn at 979-542-2274 neighbor i'm larry marble that was phil brockenbush getting livestock and you're listening to walking the pins texas farm bureau radio network you're doing so right this second on texas ag today Lean hogs finished higher Wednesday. December hogs up five cents at sixty-eight ninety-seven. February hogs up a dollar seventy at seventy ten. Class three milk was slightly lower in Wednesday's trade. December milk down six cents, sixteen sixteen a hundred weight. January milk down seven at six twenty-six a hundred. The cotton market traded up and down throughout the session on Wednesday. Not a whole lot of movement in the market. In fact, we closed slightly lower, and I do mean slightly. We were down one point on the nearby contracts. Traders looking forward to the Thursday morning export sales report, and we're also seeing some end-of-the-month squaring in the market. We closed with December cotton down one point, 78.59. March down one point, 79.59. May cotton down one point, at 80.23 cents. In the grain markets, corn finished mixed, the nearby December contract down one and three quarters, 449 and three quarters, with March corn up two and a quarter, 475 and three quarters. A nice rally on Wednesday in the wheat complex. Hard wheat had fallen below $6, but in the last couple of trading sessions, we've moved the market well back up into the mid $6. We closed with December Kansas City wheat up 27 cents Wednesday, closing at 6.40 a bushel. December Chicago wheat up 12 and a quarter at 5.56. In the energy markets, January natural gas down four cents, 2.79. January West Texas crude up a dollar 37, 77, 78 a barrel. The financial markets mixed Wednesday afternoon. The Dow was up seven points, 35,424. The NASDAQ down 22 at 14,257. The S&P down 5, 4,549. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A., Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. 
Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.